The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. You know, it's getting hot out there, and a lot of us are ready to go to the beach. But you know what? We need to be looking at the beach water quality. Um, and we are talking with a representative from the Natural Resources Defense Council today. They have just released their annual beach report. And what they found is that water pollution at our beaches has actually caused over 20,000 days of beach closures in the United States uh, in the last year. And that's something that is kind of shocking. I mean, and it really does impact not just our vacation time and, and the fun that we like to have at the beach, um, but it also can impact our health. And we're going to be talking about that today, some of the human health implications of this polluted beach water. Today, we're joined by John Devine. He is the NRDC's senior attorney for their water program, and he's going to help us understand where some of this pollution comes from and what we can do to either mitigate or hopefully eliminate these sources of beach water pollution. So, John, welcome to Go Green Radio. Thanks for having me, Jill. Well, I'm glad to have you on, um, and thank you to you and the Natural Resources Defense Council for keeping us all informed with these annual reports. Um, before we begin talking about the findings in your annual report on the water quality of U.S. beaches, I'd like for you to tell our listener how the data for this report is gathered and what exactly you're monitoring and how the NRDC uh, acquires this information for their report. Sure, absolutely. Under a federal law, called the Beach Act, the 30 coastal and Great Lakes states receive federal funding to help them set up and run monitoring and public notification programs. These programs are focused on identifying and warning about the risks of waterborne diseases so that when local beach officials monitor the water, they're looking for particular strains of bacteria that indicate whether the water is contaminated by human and animal waste. That contains viruses, bacteria, and parasites that can make people sick. Um, NRDC relies on information provided to us by states, supplemented by data from the Environmental Protection Agency. On top of that, we survey state and local officials to learn about local practices, particular success stories, or, or challenges they may be facing. Uh, in the beach monitoring coordinators, the, the staff in the states and at EPA, um, all to, to a person were, were terrific. They always are very helpful in providing NRDC with, with information and, and their, their work and dedication to keeping our beaches clean is, is really an inspiration. 
So this is a truly cooperative and collaborative uh, exercise between the NRDC and, and all of these uh, various entities that are working to keep our beaches clean. That's great. Um, talk to us about some of the illnesses that are associated with polluted beach water. Um, you know, a lot of us, you know, think that, uh, you know, day at the beach, if as long as the beach is open, you know, we're good to go. Um, but there are some pretty you know, disgusting, if you will, (laughs) illnesses that are associated with polluted beach water. And I know that there must be a public health cost uh, with some of these illnesses. So if you could talk to us about the, you know, what's in it for me to all beachgoers, what what are we trying to protect them from? Absolutely. Polluted water may contain disease-causing organisms that are called pathogens. The most common types of pathogens are bacteria, viruses, and protozoa, uh, and are associated with human and animal waste. Mm. Swimmers who are in polluted water can contract any illness that those kinds of critters cause, uh, and that includes stomach flu, respiratory infection, ear and skin infections. Um, Most of these Things uh, last just a few days or several weeks, but some, in some cases, pathogens uh, can cause severe and long-term illness. Uh, so it's important to try to avoid it, obviously. The sensitive populations, such as children uh, and the elderly or those with a weakened immune system, are particularly at risk for the longer-term impacts. And why is that? Well, uh, they're just less able to fight off an infection. In, in the case of kids, another thing that we, we see is that they're more prone to dunk their head or swallow water, <laughs> and that's, that's a way that, that people can become infected. How do you estimate the cost of that public health um, risk in, in dollars? Yeah. Well, each year Americans take more than 900 million trips to coastal areas. Beaches, rivers, and lakes are the top vacation destinations in our country. And these waters provide more than just recreation. Vacationers spend approximately $44 billion annually during those coastal trips. And coastal tourism is, of course, attributable in part to clean beaches, and that generates substantial revenues for state and local governments as well as the businesses that are along the coast. Mm -hmm. Economists estimate that a typical swimming day is worth about $35 to each person. So as a result, depending on the number of potential visitors to a beach and the loss of beach days due to warnings or closures, it can get up there in cost pretty quickly. Uh, One study that that we, we include in our report estimated economic losses as a result of closing a Lake Michigan beach due to pollution at, at a, as high as $37,030 a day. Mm. And then, of course, there are the health costs. A Southern California study, for instance, concluded that each year contamination at Los Angeles and Orange County beaches caused between 627,800,000 dollars Sorry, 627,800 and 1,479,200 excess gastrointestinal illnesses. The public health cost of that is between 21 million and 51 million dollars. Oh, wow. 
And those are some of the most famous beaches on the West Coast that we're talking about as well. Um, you know, this year's report, I noticed, um, was dedicated to Senator Frank Lautenberg and his legislative accomplishment, the Beaches Environmental Assessment and Coastal Health Act of 2000. Can you tell us more about that piece of legislation? That honestly is, is something I hadn't known about and, and what impact that piece of legislation has had. Absolutely. Uh, Senator Lautenberg had numerous legislative accomplishments and was a longtime advocate for public health. Uh, he'll be sorely missed in the Senate. The BEACH Act, which is the acronym for the the bill you just described, mm-hmm. is a bargain between states and the federal government. With federal support, states establish monitoring and public information programs for their coastal and Great Lakes beaches. And then they agree to set up those programs with within certain common parameters and provide information to the EPA so that it's public and available. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's an investment in public health and and in the huge economic benefit safe beaches provide, just as we've discussed. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you this. Are, are there uh, – is there a minimum size to a lake that would be um, – Monitored, or are there you know smaller lakes? You know, internal. I'm thinking. You know, I'm from Southern Illinois. We had some man-made lakes. Are those monitors? Are there any rivers where tourists gather river fronts um, that are monitored, or is this just like, you know, the Gulf of Mexico, the Atlantic and Pacific Ocean, and the right. Great Lakes areas? That's a really good question and an important clarification about our report. It, it, the Beach Act applies to, quote, coastal recreational areas, and those are defined in the law to be the the beach areas along the Atlantic, Pacific, and Gulf Coasts, as well as, as the, the Great Lakes shorelines. So mm-hmm. your inland lake in, in Illinois is not going to be part of that monitoring program or and therefore not part of the report that we compile using the data under that program. The state or local public health authorities may well monitor and report on water quality at other beaches, but our report is focused on those coastal recreational areas. I understand. Now let's dig into some of the findings of the report. And I want to begin with the sources of the pollution that's found in these monitored coastal areas. And first of all, and and don't be afraid to get scientific on us because uh, (laughs) we have a pretty sophisticated uh, listener group out there. How can you tell what the source of pollution is when a water sample is analyzed. You know, you have some great charts and graphs that show what percentage of the various uh, pollution it comes from this source or that source, and we'll dig mm-hmm. into that in a moment. But how do you know when you get a water sample and you're just analyzing all this stuff floating around in it, how does what you find indicate what the source is? Well, you can't tell just from the sample, but that's a great question. What the sample is looking for is a particular kind of bacteria that indicates whether a variety of viruses and parasites and bacteria associated with human and animal waste are in the water. Oftentimes, however, the beach managers themselves, the people who are out there and, and, and doing the testing, will know 
what the common pollution sources are in their watersheds and in the and in the areas that drain to the beach. And when they report that information, we report it back to the public. So but the how, sad fact is yeah. that that I'm sorry that the vast majority, 63% of closings and advisories in 2012 were attributed to unknown sources of pollution. When beach managers do know, do know the source, the most common source they report is polluted rain runoff, also known as stormwater. Is there any reason, is there any motivation for the people who are doing the monitor or the monitoring to um, report it as an unknown source versus a known source? Is there any reason why that piece of information could be highly uh, subjective and subject to influence? Sometimes it's just hard to know. Uh, a lot of these sources happen a ways away from the beach mm-hmm. and, and are carried to the beach by streams or, or by stormwater systems or other things. And so it's hard for any given beach manager sometimes to know what's causing the contamination that he or she is is monitoring in the water. I see. Well, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking with John about some of the sources of pollution that have caused over 20,000 days of closures on Americans' beaches over 2012. Um, We're also going to be talking about how to mitigate some of those sources of pollution, and we'll also start naming names. Where are the pristine beaches, and where are the ones that have some trouble? And uh, you can find out more on the NRDC website, and we'll talk about those resources in just a few minutes. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. All round the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. If you just happen to be tuning in, our subject today is beach water quality. And we're talking with John Devine, who's a senior attorney for the Natural Resources Defense Council's water program. And if you want to check out what they have available on their website, great information, all kinds of ways that you can get information, and all kinds of ways for you to get involved in these issues. Don't close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on voiceamerica.com. But you can open up a new tab in your web browser and go to www.nrdc.org slash water. And there you'll find an an amazing array of information. But today we're specifically focusing on the NRDC's just recently reported, this is hot off the press, uh, their annual report on beach water quality. And, you know, John, I was really surprised to read, and I've been sharing this with all my friends. I have to say, ever since I read the report, I've been going around asking my kids and my soccer mom friends, what do you think is the number one source of beach water pollution? And they had all kinds of answers. And they were surprised, just like I was, to find out that it was stormwater runoff. When the when the rain falls, we all think, "Oh, so refreshing, so cleansing." Exactly. So, how does rainwater? How does rainfall end up polluting our beach water? Yeah, that term, stormwater runoff, may sound harmless, right? You, you mm-hmm. might think of rainwater with leaves and twigs flowing into a storm drain and and probably heading off to some treatment works to clean it all up. Right. The truth is a lot different. When, when it rains, the water hitting hard surfaces like buildings, parking lots, and roadways is unable to seep into the ground or be retained by vegetation and evaporated back to the atmosphere. So instead, it pours down gutters and out into the roads where you can see it picking up cigarette butts and animal waste and dirt and grime and oil and grease. Give just a personal example, I was out walking my dog the other day and she did her business not too too far from a, a drainage ditch that goes right to a storm drain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if that isn't picked up, that goes out to our, our rivers and streams. Mm-hmm. In most places, that's exactly what happens. It, it is just dumped untreated into rivers and streams and it can make those waterways and our beaches unsafe for swimming. Uh, in addition, stormwater can become contaminated with, by leaky sewage pipes, which are often in the ground nearby, or get into the or infiltrate into the sewage system through manholes and other points and cause overflows because the treatment works can't handle the volume of flow. Mm-hmm. And then finally, in over 750 cities around the country, stormwater is carried in the same pipes as sewage from people's homes and businesses. During dry weather or small storms, that mixture is sent to a sewage treatment plant for for treatment. Mm -hmm. However, these ancient systems are also designed to overflow when there is too much rain for the plant to handle, which dumps this sickening, smelly mess into our waterways. So 
the combination of those sources is how stormwater causes the kinds of contamination that we see at the beach. Well, you know, that is pretty sickening. And and I'd like for you to talk about um, what seems to be a pretty egregious failure of our water infrastructure. It sounds like um, we don't have the water infrastructure we need to handle what should be fairly predictable amounts of fluid. Mm-hmm. Um you know what what kinds of water infrastructure upgrades need to be made well that's the good news uh, we know how to deal with this pollution we can stop stormwater and sewage from polluting beaches by using modern tech management techniques that we call green infrastructure in our cities and suburbs mm-hmm. green infrastructure includes things like porous pavement green roofs, parks, roadside plantings, and rain barrels, things that retain water where it falls by storing it or letting it filter into the ground naturally or letting it evaporate. And the great thing about green infrastructure is that everybody wins. Beaches are cleaner. There's less flooding uh, in our cities from stormwater. Sewage overflows are prevented. But they also beautify neighborhoods, make them healthier by cleaning the air and lowering urban temperatures and provide job opportunities for folks. And even heating and cooling costs go down. That's why a lot of cities have have already begun embracing these green infrastructure techniques and and reaping multiple benefits from them. Well, and here's the thing, though. I mean, we know how to do this, but how do we pay for them? Like, for instance, when you talk about porous you know, roadways, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how does that work? When you have existing roadways, how how can you integrate this, you know, updated technology? Is it something that I would imagine you can't just pour it over existing roadway? Would you have to rip up the existing roads and put down a new road in order to integrate that into your green infrastructure? How would that work? They're going to, it's going to be very place specific and ultimately What's going to be necessary is for both new and redeveloped sites to integrate this, these techniques in as they're being developed. That's, mm-hmm. that's a no-brainer, right? While, while, you're, while you're putting shovels in the ground, you should be, you should be integrating these new techniques into, into your landscape. In mm-hmm. addition, yes, there's going to be some need for uh, especially in watersheds where the the stream and and beaches are already suffering the effects of stormwater, we're going to need to um, basically remedy that that existing problem by by retrofitting existing sites. Mm-hmm. And, but that that can you know that can be done using uh, their financial incentives by, uh, for instance, many cities now have have stormwater fees that are assessed on the basis of how much impervious area is on a site. You can mm-hmm. use the revenue from those fees to help help folks revamp their sites to, to green them up. You know, this is something that we've talked about on Go Green Radio before and, and something that I continue to read more and more about. It's part of a, a larger issue of uh, aging 
on at the best and decrepit at the worst <laughs> infrastructure in this country. You know, and it's not just our water infrastructure, our energy infrastructure, our roads, levees, bridges, schools, etc. We haven't had a huge national or, for the most part, a lot of states have not paid a lot of attention to things like, you know, repairs of infrastructure, uh, upgrades and modernization to infrastructure, expansion of infrastructure because our population has expanded. Um, and it seems like what you're discussing here is one piece of a larger issue Um you know, you know what needs to be done. I know that others know what needs to be done. But from a realistic standpoint, uh, particularly from an economic and public policy standpoint, what is your hope and what is your expectation that over the next few years, our nation and individual states will actually do those infrastructure upgrades that will um, mitigate some of the pollution, not just at our beaches, but in other places that we see. Do you, If you look into your crystal ball, John, <laughs> what do you see over the next decade, realistically, in terms of the upgrades we need? Well, the what happens, what needs to happen is for both the federal government to better invest in stormwater and wastewater infrastructure. Mm-hmm. It needs to increase its annual contribution to a federal fund called the Clean Water State Revolving Fund, which then provides assistance to projects that repair and rebuild failing infrastructure. This has been an uh, an area that we've underinvested in as a nation for too long. Uh, it's too easy to ignore what's below the the ground and under our streets, but it as you say, is is uh, in many places crumbling and needs to be addressed. Cities and states can also help by um, ensuring that money under those those revolving funds are uh, available for uh, a range of green infrastructure projects and uh, and and cities can help, as I said, using. Uh, fees to help implement these green infrastructure solutions by uh, tying them to the source of the problem, which is impervious Mm -hmm. area. Mm -hmm. And what's your hope that that will actually occur? Well, I'm very hopeful because, frankly, the problem can't be wished away. We have polluted waterways and beaches and the the folks at the local level at the state level are obliged to deal with that pollution it's it's currently uh falling on many municipalities to clean up uh, rivers and streams that are are polluted because they're obligated under our federal clean water act to to do so Mm-hmm. Now, what we think is necessary is not only these greater investments, but also regulatory improvements that can help those municipalities get the stormwater pollution that, that they're managing under control. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, from a public policy standpoint, what that means is the the key opportunity to address this 
so this pollution rests with uh, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Mm-hmm. EPA uh, needs to make overdue changes to its water pollution regulations for stormwater sources. Mm-hmm. What what we believe is necessary is a strong stormwater retention requirement that would then help spur widespread implementation of green infrastructure and help keep urban and suburban runoff from reaching our beaches. This will help municipalities comply with their existing pollution control requirements, especially if they apply, if they address not only new and redeveloped areas, such as parking lots and office buildings and industrial parks, but also existing sources of runoff pollution and have those designed for the future mm-hmm. to infiltrate, evaporate, or re- reuse the rain that falls on them. Well, and I know that in a lot of communities, there are agreements with real estate developers um, that when either infill development goes on or new development happens, um, they require some sort of fee or some sort of um, contribution to the needed infrastructure in order to you know, benefit the city and not to tap too hard into the city's um, existing infrastructure. And so hopefully when municipalities are are setting up those kinds of developer fee agreements, they're considering not just the number of roads they need um, and maybe, you know, the, the utility, you know, electric hookups and things like that, but some of this green infrastructure as well. And that maybe uh, if they are letting developers come in, that they will, you know, require things like stormwater mitigation infrastructure as well. Well, We've got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll talk more with John Devine from the Natural Resources Defense Council about America's beach water quality. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Glad that you could join us today. Our topic is near and dear to my heart. I live in California now, and the beaches are a big reason why I live here. In fact, uh, when my husband and I were in the military stationed down in San Diego, uh, we practically lived at the beach. And uh, even on Christmas morning, all of our relatives back in Illinois were so jealous because they would all be, you know, hiding out from the snow inside. And we would let them know uh, with pictures and everything that we were spending Christmas morning at the beach. (laughs) We love the beach. And we're talking today about something that's threatening our beaches and the ability for us to swim in the ocean and that is beach water pollution what causes it and some action items how we can mitigate and eliminate some of these sources of pollution and we're joined today if you just happen to be tuning in by john devine one of the senior attorneys for the nrdc's uh, water program that's natural resources defense council You know, John, one of the other significant sources of beach water pollution that you've outlined in this annual report that just came out this week uh, is wildlife sources. And I'm not sure exactly what that means. Sounds like animal waste, but I don't know if that's what it means. So can you tell us what wildlife sources of pollution are and what could be done to mitigate that type of pollution? Yeah, it's not a it's not a raccoon with a a barrel of of pollution. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nah, um, nah, it, it, a lot of beaches have big bird populations, such as seagulls. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm a birder, and I know a lot of birds called the beach home. So one of the things we've seen in compiling this report makes me a little bit uh, curious, antsy, I don't know. Uh, you, the, some some beaches have used dogs to chase off the birds. Um, mm-hmm. I do acknowledge that, that, that we've seen that be effective in, in reducing the bacterial levels at some places, including a couple of Chicago beaches. But mm-hmm. uh, w- one of the obvious sort of no-brainer ways of dealing with the contamination from you know, big gulp populations, for instance, is, is like controlling trash and securing trash receptacles so as not to provide an unnatural attraction for huge flocks of gulls. So mm-hmm. that's one of the things that you can do to mitigate the contribution of, of animal waste to the to the water. Don't leave your Cheetos on the beach. It just draws go. them. In. <laughs> don't, feed, don't, feed, don't feed the gulls. <laughs> right. And so is that basically what we're talking about is, you know, the, the birds that are near the beach, that's a big source of pollution? That's that's one of the big things that, that beach managers often point to. Gotcha. Well, going back, I don't want to dwell too much on the whole sewage thing, but that really does bother me. When we talk about this source of pollution at the beach that's attributed to sewage spills and overflows, Um can you talk more about that just so we, we thoroughly understand this issue and, and how it's contributing to the pollution of our beach water? You, you bet. There are a few ways that sewage can get into beach water. As I mentioned earlier, stormwater can pick up sewage from leaky pipes or cause systems to be overloaded or trigger overflows from these combined sewer systems. 
sewage systems also fail from time to time and can be knocked out by major storms, as we saw last year on the East Coast with Superstorm Sandy. Mm-hmm. In addition, about one-third of new construction and 23% of U.S. dwellings overall use some kind of septic tank or on-site waste disposal system. And if those aren't sited and built and maintained properly, they can leach wastewater into recreational waters, which can contaminate beaches. And then finally, there are occasional instances of improper management of toilets on board boats. Mm. Um, for the more common pollution impacts driven by storm, you know, the ones driven by stormwater, the solution is to stop stormwater at its source, as we've been talking about, before it gets mm. the opportunity to get into these old cement infrastructure systems where it causes all kinds of problems. And that's why we're so strongly supportive of green infrastructure. Um, to deal with some of these large storms that we can expect with climate change and to deal with the fact that many sewage treatment facilities are located in these low-lying coastal areas, uh, we think that wastewater utilities immediately should start to implement a series of strategies that, that we outlined in a report that a colleague of mine wrote called Getting Climate Smart. And that, that includes things like evaluating flood-proofing, uh, vulnerable uh, facilities by raising the elevation of structures and doing and waterproofing it in, in various ways, updating response and maintenance procedures and providing for alternate power sources and installing pumping systems affected by, for, for facilities affected by sea level rise, those kinds of things to basically w- prevent the kinds of, of uh, spills that you might see in in some of these more catastrophic events. Mm-hmm. You know, I even just in reading a local newspaper, um, I can see this happening not just where I live, but all over the place. Um, municipalities either have ownership of their water system, or uh, they, you know, lease it out or or give a contract to a private water company, and what you see over and over again is is not just for the water industry, but it's also for electricity utilities, etc. The public will come out screaming at whatever government entity meeting is discussing, you know, what needs to happen. Basically, everybody wants everything to be cheap, and they don't want to invest in infrastructure, whether that's energy infrastructure, water infrastructure, etc. All they want is for it to work perfectly (laughs) and for it to be as cheap as possible. And I'm not sure what can be done. I mean, I I go to some of these meetings sometimes and and try to connect the dots for folks that, you know, I I get it. You know, we we don't want uh, those who are economically stressed not to be able to afford clean water and and electricity. But at the same time, if we continue to uh, postpone needed upgrades to this infrastructure, we're ensuring that a greater percentage of our population will be impoverished due to a lack of reliable water, energy, fill in the blank, whatever our infrastructure provides. Um, how does NRDC view this, you know, this push and pull between uh, the economics of what we know needs to happen with energy and water and, you know, other upgrades to our infrastructure and this 
public pressure that elected officials are constantly under to keep it cheap, cheap, cheap. Um, what what do you see as a as a possible solution to that problem? Sure. Ultimately, the pollution that we need to deal with at the beach is all of our responsibility. But in our view, the key opportunity to address this pollution source and to help our municipal governments manage the pollution that they've already got a responsibility to deal with is that that responsibility rests now with the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. EPA has been considering and now needs to make overdue changes to its stormwater regulations uh, to require stormwater retention at the sites that are creating the stormwater in the first place, the ones that have significant uh, impervious areas from which water runs off and picks up the kinds of pollution that we see at the beach or causes these sewage overflows and, and, other, uh, and other contamination. Uh, that strong wa- stormwater retention requirements will in turn spur widespread implementation of green infrastructure. That will help keep urban and suburban runoff from reaching our beaches. So mm-hmm. EPA's rules need to get going. And when they do, the agency has to address not only new and redeveloped impervious areas such as parking lots and office buildings and industrial parks and roadways and design, ensure that they are designed in a way that is that infiltrates or evaporates or reuses the rain that falls on them, but also ensure that existing sources of runoff pollution are controlled to make to meet our water quality goals. So what's the holdup? I'm assuming that they know this. Why hasn't it already been done? They do. And uh, in in part, I think it is that they are um, – that they have become scared of their own shadow when it comes to water pollution issues um, by uh, the U.S. Congress. Uh, virtually everything – EPA has done in, in uh, recent years has been met with uh, criticism and pushback on the uh, on the national level in Congress and attempts to defund parts of, of EPA's uh, program. But I think the agency also just needs to look at the science that it already has about the numerous pollution problems that stormwater causes. Uh, the vast research it has on the benefits associated with green infrastructure and have the courage of its convictions to develop these rules and get them out promptly. Is there a way for everyday, uh, you know, an everyday citizen to get involved with helping to make that a reality? Do you have resources through the NRDC that would allow you know, everyday people to to become part of the solution and to urge this kind of action on? Absolutely. Uh, there, if you go to our website, nrdc.org, you'll see that our, right from our uh, beach, beach Report website, which is nrdc.org forward slash beaches, 
There's a take action opportunity, which which will let you weigh in with the EPA and tell them that you want strong stormwater controls put in place and, and that they're the folks who need to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, what does that amount to, sort of a signing of a petition? or It's, a, it's essentially sending a letter. Okay. That's great. And and that is nrdc.org forward slash beaches. Beaches, yes. Right. Well, let me ask you this. You know, there are individual beaches that are listed in your report where they have more than 25% of the samples that that have been taken or received exceed the EPA's applicable, you know, single sample maximum bacteria standards. Um, Can you tell us, you know, something about those beaches, what kind of pathogens are showing up in their samples? Sure. So these are places that unfortunately have had persistent water quality challenges. Uh, Over a quarter of their samples in each of the last five years have been worse than the federal public health standard. Now, it's tough to generalize about why. Uh, There are multiple causes of beach pollution, and as we've been talking about often, they're not identified. And then other things can also influence the level of beach pollution, things like how sheltered a beach area happens to be or whether beach managers are being proactive and the samples are being taken near the sources of pollution, like stormwater outfalls. Right. Well, and so that's one of the things that, um, you know, is sort of difficult to get our arms around with this, uh, with the report. It's hard to know if... um, you know, if it's it's a current or lack of current situation or what mm-hmm. have you, um, and so that's that's really interesting. And I also noticed that some of these beaches have a different monitoring frequency, and I'm not sure if that, um, you know, if if there's any implication to less frequent monitoring, you know, and its impact on human health. What are your what are your feelings on that? Sure. Well, certainly the more frequent the monitoring, the better information is available. But states have very limited resources, and the support from the federal government is not a lot of money. So places with a lot of beaches often find themselves in a position of having to prioritize. And what's really worrisome about this is that the Obama administration has now twice proposed to eliminate all federal funding for the beach Act grant program. Last year, that program was saved when Congress didn't adopt the president's proposal, but the program is at risk again this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if these grants are zeroed out, many states are going to have to reduce their monitoring efforts. And and there are some, Florida, Alabama, Maine are among them, whose, whose programs are funded solely by federal grants. If they uh, can't find state funds to supplement the the missing federal ones, they may have to shut down monitoring and notification programs. Wow, uh, that's pretty scary. And that doesn't mean shutting down the beaches. That just means, sorry, folks, take your chances and swim in polluted waters if if that's the case because we can't monitor them, right? I mean, they're not going to close those beaches just because they can't monitor them, right? Well, that's that's the risk is mm-hmm. that the public will, will be uh, without – great tools to to know what's what the condition of their beach is and that's why we think the the relatively small amount of federal funding it's it's less than 10 million dollars a year uh, in the federal budget uh, and it 
helps protect a $90 billion coastal tourism economy, uh, mm-hmm. that that is far worth the investment. Sounds like it to me. Well, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, much more with John Devine of the Natural Resources Defense Council and information about your beach water quality. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We're joined today by John Devine of the Natural Resources Defense Council, and we're talking about their annual beach water quality report. You know, I don't want to just focus on the bad. Uh, you know, of course, we've been talking about beaches that have a big pollution problem and um, some of the ways that, that that pollution might be mitigated or eliminated with some good public policy. But let's talk about your superstar beaches. These are beaches that really do a great job of, of uh, keeping their beaches open and clean. Talk about some of these beaches, John, and what are they doing to protect their beach water quality? Sure. Of the 3,000 or so beaches that NRDC has monitoring information on, which you can see any given one of them on our on our website uh, using the, the cool map function that we've we've put up there, we take a subset of about 200 popular beaches around the country, and we rate them on a five-star scale that, that's based on both water quality and then whether they follow beach management practices that protect the public. And so I think that I just wanted to make that point very clear. Our, mm-hmm. And I'm glad you mentioned that the, pra- the practices that, that folks are following, because these beaches are ones that got five stars on our ranking scale and that that includes three stars worth of information about their smart management practices, things like mm-hmm. more frequent testing, not waiting to resample the water before warning people about elevated bacteria levels, and also posting information online and at the beach. On top of that, we also give two stars for water quality both this year and over the past three years. Mm-hmm. And, and we had great five-star beaches around the country. We had 
We had three in California. We had two in Alabama, two in Minnesota, another two in Delaware and New Hampshire, and, and one in, in Maryland and in, in Michigan. And uh, that just goes to show that these, these kinds of uh, beaches can, can be found all around uh, the coast and Great Lakes. Well, tell me this. Um, you know, give us some real-world examples, some you know, kind of case study information about what's happening at these beaches that might be able to be replicated um, in spots where you know there isn't as good a beach water quality as these beaches enjoy. Sure. There's no silver bullet here for either the higher ranked or, or lower ranked. Uh, beaches or states for that matter. Uh, there are beaches across the country that find very few violations of public health standards and, and others that have quite a lot. But we do have a lot of local success stories that, that folks have reported to us as we've compiled this report. And, and they've invested at the, at the beach level in detecting and remedying pollution problems. That uh, I, We have cases in, in Illinois, where beach water monitoring samples were higher than state standards 54% of the time, uh, but the village of Winnetka investigated and found 15 private home sewage systems that crossed into the stormwater drainage system. And, and they since have been repaired, and water quality has improved. The Many, many places have... have invested in green infrastructure at the beach, whether that's directing flow from their parking lots into, into vegetated areas to absorb the polluted stormwater. Mm-hmm. Um, at uh, a park in Michigan called Lake St. Clair Metro Park Beach, uh, the beach managers there are using funds from a Great Lakes restoration initiative to remove 8,500 square feet of a parking lot surface and replace it with a 15,800 square foot porous pavement driveway and, and a big rain garden using native vegetation. And they're mm-hmm. hoping that that will help reduce uh, the pollution there. Well, let me ask you this. You know, I noticed there's a list in your annual report that lists states, ranking from one being the the least amount of polluted days and, and, you know, samples that exceed the national levels, all the way down to number 30 with the most um, pollution problems. And most of the highest percentage of samples that exceed the national limit are in states that are either on the Great Lakes or the Gulf of Mexico. Is that due to agricultural runoff, industrial pollution? Um, you know, what is it about the Great Lakes and the Gulf of Mexico that, you know, tend to to cause, have the most pollution present in their beaches? Well, it's a it's a big variety of, of reasons that, that can cause this pollution, as we've been talking about, it comes from a number of sources. And the real challenge is is in the big chunk of closings and advisories and pollution events that the beach managers don't know what's causing it. And mm-hmm. we at NRDC have long been advocating for a greater federal investment uh, than the current small amount 
that that goes from the federal government to state beach programs to not only monitor and notify folks when there's a problem, but also to try to start addressing those problems, to identify where the pollution's coming from and to help clean them up. A number of places have have done uh, what are known as sanitary surveys at particular beaches. And those sanitary surveys are meant to find the specific source of the bacteria that they're detecting at the beach, whether that happens to be some of these leaking septic systems that we've talked about or a sewage spill or a, a line that happens to be leaking, or if it's stormwater pollution from an up, upstream urban area that can be better addressed using these green infrastructure techniques that we've been talking about. That kind of targeted response to pollution is what we really hope will will take hold. Well, and what you're describing is something that we're beginning to see in so many different arenas, that uh, local control, local investment, um, local concern about some of these issues is what is really going to solve the problem. I mean, even when we look at things like climate change adaptations, that's going to be a local community coming together and, and making things happen so that their community can continue to thrive under extreme conditions. And it sounds as though some of the solutions to the beach water quality problems will happen same way, notwithstanding, you know, the need for federal regulation. But it does sound like the more involved uh, local sources are, the better off. I want everybody to know that you can check out um, the NRDC website and find out exactly what's going on at beaches in your state or at a beach in your locale. If you go to www.nrdc.org slash beaches, that's where you can find a really great interactive map and learn more about the beaches near you or beaches that you'll be traveling to this summer. Thank you so much, John, for joining us. Thank you to the NRDC for putting together this report to keep us all well-informed. Folks, we're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.